listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. When God speaks, it's wise to listen. Ask somebody who did not listen to God when he spoke. When God speaks, it's wise to listen. Today is no exception. The master communicator, God, always speaks masterfully, communicating the right word at the right time for maximum impact. And today is no exception as we look at the book of Acts in chapter 10. As we continue our series through the entire book of Acts, I always love it. When we get to a passage of scripture, this is one of the beauties of preaching through God's word and not being selective in what we preach, just letting the word of God speak. I always love it when we are preaching through God's word and what's happening at a national level or a global level, especially, especially is being addressed by the passage of scripture. We just coincidentally, is there such a thing as a coincidence? that we just happen to be preaching upon. And today is an example because what we're going to look at is huge. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now stop right there. I'm Italian, full-blooded Italian. You won't get more full-blooded unless you go to Italy. So whenever we see Italians mentioned in the Bible, we need to pause, we need to soak it up. We need to take note of it, and we just need to bask in the reality that God actually uses Italians from time to time. And if he can use Italians, he can use you, okay? Are we happy about that? Be excited about that? Why are we not being more expressive when I say that? Why are you not happy about God using Italians? A devout man who feared God, Cornelius, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, three o'clock, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, common response when an angel appears, He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, that's about 31 miles away, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, that's not, he's not a sun worshiper. Doesn't mean that kind of a tanner. Come on now. He's a guy who would take the skins of animals and use them for various things. And it's a big step for Peter already to be involved in staying in the house of somebody who would have come in contact with carcasses, unclean animals, according to Jewish customs. So God is already in the process of moving in Peter the apostle's life, getting him out of his comfort zone. And Peter doesn't know he's going to have the doors blown off of his understanding of Jesus and the gospel as God gets him out of his comfort zone even more. You know, that's what God's doing in your life. Did you know that? God is in the business of getting you out of your comfort zone because if you were left to yourself, you would just stay right where you are. You wouldn't follow God. Thank you. Somebody is listening. 
You wouldn't follow God. You wouldn't follow through on what God initiates in your life. And so God has a way of making the circumstances in our lives coincide with what he wants to teach us in our lives to get us out of our comfort zone so that by the time we see him face to face, all of that time that was before our meeting him face to face was a revolution of the spirit of God where we're transformed, we become more like Jesus in character. That's what your life and my life is all about. So God is already in the process of getting Peter the apostle out of his comfort zone and look at how God is doing it. Puts him in proximity of staying in the house of Simon the Tanner, not abiding by Jewish practices and customs. And we're about to see how significant that is with a quantum leap forward in this particular passage. So the angel speaks to Cornelius, send men to Joppa, verse five, and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. That's noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, not knowing that the Italians were coming with supersat and meatballs. Didn't know that was happening. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now Peter was inwardly perplexed. He's scratching his head. He said, what? As to what the vision that he had seen might mean. You're going to understand why in a moment, because you're not a Jew. Peter is a Jew. You're about to understand why Peter was perplexed. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, the non-Jew, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. They don't want to get the wrong Simon here, all right? And when Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. He's recognizing the fulfillment of the angel's words. This is happening exactly as the angel said it would happen. So he falls down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. What faith Cornelius had to gather all of his family, put his own reputation, which was in high standing already, to risk his own reputation in obedience to Almighty God. This is what faith looks like. This is faith with legs. And the centurion had it. Went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is. Listen to this, this is very important. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why? you sent for me. See, Peter doesn't totally understand even why yet. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, an angel, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What an amazing and up to this point unlikely convergence. Jew, Gentile, together in this beautiful collision that we're reading about today in the 21st century when we need to be reminded of what they were learning in the first century when the Spirit of God was moving and expanding the church. And by the church, I mean the only church. There might be many outposts around the world, many different local churches, but there is only one church in the sight of Almighty God. And this passage is here on purpose, the master communicator, God, communicating masterfully, making sure that this was recorded into the record of Scripture, into the book of Acts, to give us an an unforgettable lesson today that we need to be reminded of today. You say, well, what's the lesson? Hold on to your seat, everybody. We're going to get there, okay? Would you please calm down? I know you're excited. We'll get there. We need to be reminded in the 21st century what they needed to learn in the first century. And I'm pretty convinced that we need to learn it and in many cases relearn it again today as well. Verse 34. So Peter hears all this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. This is huge. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Notice that phrase, anyone who fears him. Respect for God is very important. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, reference to the cross. 
But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Literal, bodily, physical resurrection, supernatural. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead, Jesus. To him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. That's a reference to all of the Old Testament. To him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Massive what's happening here. While Peter was still saying these things, he's in the process of communicating. The great communicator makes a huge statement. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed. They're perplexed. They're blown away. They're amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. This is the Gentile, non-Jewish Pentecost. This is huge. And God is making a statement at the perfect time, in the perfect way, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on the non-Jewish believers in Jesus so that the Jewish believers, the non-Jewish believers would understand there is one God, one Savior Jesus, one Lord and Savior of all, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one body of Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit fell upon them at that instance. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues or languages and extolling God. They understood what was being said. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter stays behind to disciple them. You know, when you catch fish, you have to clean those fish. And so Peter stayed behind to disciple them and mentor them and help them understand even more about the faith that they had just become part of. It's important for us to remember and to understand. Water baptism is a first step of obedience in identifying with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an important part, not a a la carte. Well, maybe I'll get baptized. Maybe I won't get baptized. Well, I don't like water. I have a phobia of water. I have a phobia of people. Get over it. Let your reverence for God overcome your phobia of people and your fear of water. Water baptism is the first step of obedience that a believer in Jesus Christ takes, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and symbolically understanding that all of your sins in Jesus are beautifully, wonderfully, all of your sins, beautifully, wonderfully, washed away. You can have new life courtesy of the life that was given by Jesus on that tree, on that cross. I was baptized when I was an infant, just a few weeks old in the Roman Catholic Church. I can tell you with God as my witness, and he was. 
I don't remember a single thing about that baptism. I was not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. I also remember in 1989 being baptized at Hydewood Park Baptist Church in South Plainfield, New Jersey, when I went under the water deliberately, consciously, as an act of obedience in Jesus Christ. And it's one of the highlights of my life. Shortly thereafter, I went on the foreign mission field to Africa for a number of months for the very first time. And that water baptism to this day one of the most significant things in my journey because it was a public declaration that I believe in Jesus. It was a public declaration of affinity that my sins are washed away, not by what I've done and what I can do or what I hope to do, but by what Jesus has done once and for all on the cross. And I identify with him. You might've been baptized when you were a child. You might've been baptized before you gave your life to Christ. I encourage you. I implore you, I urge you in accordance with the teaching of God's word to embrace the biblical teaching that water baptism after salvation is one of the primary things, primary ways that you identify with the finished work of Jesus and his work that is just begun in you. It's one of the acts of obedience that anybody who endeavors to make their lifetime one of following Jesus it's the first step of obedience with Jesus. And we don't apologize about that. The Bible doesn't apologize about it. We've seen baptisms happening again and again already in the book of Acts. And we see again and again and again and again that if you're going to follow Jesus, start by identifying with Jesus. Let God get you over the hump of being in front of people, any kind of fear of water. Let your reverence for God guide you in obedience before him. Now, I love when a passage of scripture speaks about an issue that is especially pertinent, especially practical, especially significant in today's world. All of the Bible speaks to all of the issues of life. And this is why when we preach through the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, eventually we get to all of the possible situations that we could face in life. And I strongly encourage you to be a student who has a regular intake of God's word, a dedicated intake of God's word going through the books in the Bible. And you too will see what we're seeing here now by preaching and teaching God's word without apology, that the Bible speaks to every situation in life. What are you saying, Mike? Do you understand what's happening here in Acts chapter 10? This is the Gentile Pentecost. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit who up to this point had been falling upon Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah. What had yet to happen in mass, what had yet to be determined was whether or not the Holy Spirit would be given equally on an equal basis to those who were not of Jewish heritage. And here in one fell swoop, the master communicator commutes masterfully, doing the right thing at the right time to have maximum impact. And he uses Peter, a Jewish apostle, and Cornelius, a non-Jewish guy who is of Roman involvement, part of the Italian cohort. He's not Jewish in any way, shape, or form. God speaking to the non-Jew, God speaking to the Jew, and bringing them together into one body to understand what we need to understand today. It's said right here in verse 43, to him, Jesus, 
all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, it doesn't mean that God accepts everybody just as they are in this regard. You don't come to Jesus without repenting. That's not what it's saying. People have it wrong in this day and age when they think that, well, God's just going to accept me as I am and nothing about me needs to change. So why do you think Peter stayed after they, they came to know Christ and the Holy Spirit fell upon them? The whole idea was that they would be instructed on what to do in their next steps. Your walk with God is all about taking your next steps. We come to know Christ as our Savior as we are. All right? Follow me on this. Don't lose me on this. You come to know Christ as your Savior, not because of what you've done or a promise of what you're going to do, but sin and all, stains and all. You come before him and say, there's nothing I can do to save myself. You are my hope, my salvation, my redeemer, my Savior. I cannot save myself. So God accepts you as you are, sin and stains and all, but there is repentance that's necessary in coming to know Christ. It is an acknowledgement that your life will not stay the same. God will change you. All you need to do is accept Christ and let him do the changing. People get themselves into all kinds of problems when they promise God that they're going to change. No, the biggest thing that you can do is get out of the way and promise God that you're not going to do it all on your own anymore. You're going to cooperate with God. Let him do the work in you, with you, to you, through you, despite you. Let him who began a good work finish it. God finishes what he starts. And when you come to know Christ as your savior, you might say, well, I have problems thinking these things. I have problems with my mouth. I have problems doing these things. Let Jesus be Lord, master over your thoughts, over your mouth, over your actions, over the things you struggle with. That is a lifestyle of repentance. It's a lifestyle of repentance. And similar to what's said here in verse 34, Acts chapter 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, see that respect for God is necessary. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So the, the teaching here is that what about those who don't do what's right? What about those who don't fear God? They do not have acceptability before God. You understand what's being presented here in the scriptures? You come to God, sins, stains, and all, and then God gets your act together. God does the work in you, to you, with you, through you. And aren't you glad that he does it despite you? He does it despite us. He who began a good work in you. Guess what? There happen to be other people who are listening in to the message that is specifically for you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to finish what he started. One of the things we need to understand today in the 21st century is what they were being taught in the first century. You know, the current cry against racism, the current cry against racism in the United States is simply and importantly, a cry for God's truth. That's what it is. Have you stopped to think about this? 
The current cry against racism is a cry for God's truth that red, yellow, black, and white, all lives matter in God's sight. Every single one of us, we're equal at the foot of the cross. Every single one of us. Red, yellow, black, white, we are all precious in God's sight. All lives matter in God's sight. Did you know that even agnostics and atheists, when they resist racism, which they rightly should, all of us should resist racism. That when an agnostic or an atheist resists racism, they are validating the truths of the Bible. They are proving the timeless relevance and significance of the Bible and of Jesus and of the gospel. Because in the hearts of everyone, deep down, we all know that racism is wrong. I don't care if you're black or if you're as white as a sheet of paper. I feel for you if you are as white as a sheet of paper because I tan so easily. Right now, I'm thinking about the sun and I'm getting darker. Watch closely and you'll see. (laughs) Deep down, each and every one of us knows because it's been put there by God Almighty that racism is wrong. And Peter was getting schooled by the Holy Spirit in the first century. This is why he's blown away. This is not just about eating food that a Jewish person would have never eaten. In fact, Peter has a hard time debating Look at this. Verse 28, Acts chapter 10. Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So the question is, well, what are you doing hanging out with these people from another nation? But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This is why Peter is debating when this thing that looks like a sheet is let down and there are all kinds of animals that a Jewish person would not touch, let alone eat. And Peter says, never, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. Listen, Gentile, listen, non-Jewish person, you need to understand Peter is a devout Jew. If we look at Acts chapter three, he's going up to the temple at the time of prayer. He didn't eat foods that were ceremonially forbidden to the Jewish people. And so he has this debate three times. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Never, I never ate anything unclean. And then he says, you non-Jewish people, you know that it's unlawful according to the Old Testament. I should not be hanging out with you. But the Spirit of God did a work in me and showed me that I should not call people what they aren't in the sight of Almighty God. Racism is wrong. Red, yellow, black, and white, all lives matter in God's sight. Peter was learning this courtesy of the Holy Spirit in the first century. And we in the 21st century as believers... As Christians, we need to stand up and speak out against racism any and every time we see it happening, beginning in our own hearts, beginning in our own minds. How dare we sit down, shut up, and wait for a politician to address the spiritual issue that we should be addressing as leaders in the church, pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers and just average Joe Christians, we are cut from the same cloth, no pun intended, 
Same cloth as Peter, same cloth as Cornelius, courtesy of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit could do this work in Peter, a Jew who was an apostle, who gets his doors blown off, this is huge. If the Holy Spirit could do this to Cornelius, a non-Jew, if God could bring a Jew and a non-Jew together and teach each of them independently of the other, that all people are equal in Jesus Christ, then we have no excuse today in the 21st century. The church, Christians are to be the tip of the spear in racial reconciliation. The world should be looking to us, listening to us, and following our lead. Red, yellow, black, white, Every skin color is precious in the sight of Almighty God. This is one of the things we need to understand when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. Had to be born a human being so that there would be a sinless, one-for-one sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and mine, no matter what your skin color is. You know, angels, there seems to be an indication in Scripture that angels... They were created independently of each other. Jesus says very clearly that in the life to come, angels will neither be married nor given in marriage. They will not procreate. They're not a race, but a class, individually created. But we're part of the human race. We're part of the human race. And if you look at the scriptures, it makes it very clear in the book of Acts where they're preaching that God took from one couple, Adam and Eve, and brought into the world all the races that are the human race. They are part of the human race. So it doesn't matter if you're black, you're human. If you're white, you're human. If you're red, you're human. If you're yellow, you're human. If you tan easily, you're human. If you have a hard time tanning and you burn, you're human. You're part of the human race and Jesus' blood was shed for you. So we Christians would do well to learn a lesson from This particular passage of scripture, this is taking place in the first century. And here we are in the 21st century and we need to be reminded and some of us for the very first time that racism is wrong. That all people are equal at the foot of the cross. And if we don't say it loud and clear, if we don't address it in our own hearts loud and clear, nobody's going to address it as clearly and as loudly, and as unapologetically, and as urgently as it needs to be proclaimed. Racism is wrong. And Christians, we have the vision of Almighty God, the word of Almighty God, to stand on. And so when you're in the store, and you're in that line, and you see somebody of a different skin color behaving in a way that annoys you, and you might begin to attribute it to their skin color. When your mind begins to go places, we are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. If you're white, you struggle with racism. If you're black, you struggle with racism. If you're red, you struggle with racism. If you're yellow, you struggle with racism. If you're young, you struggle with racism. If you're old, you struggle with racism. In the course of our entire lives, we will all struggle with racism because racism is a problem of the human heart. 
where we compete with each other and we judge each other and we look down our noses at each other. It's no different than the way ladies, can I be honest for a second? Ladies check out other ladies. Boy, this guy doesn't want to hold back anything today. Come on now, you're in church. You're going to lie in church? Ladies check out other ladies. So you go into the supermarket. Check this out. You go into the supermarket and a nicely dressed woman walks by, especially if this happens in Walmart and a nicely dressed woman walks by and all the other people who roll, all the other women who just rolled out of bed and are still in their sweats, see that nicely dressed woman walking by, they will look her up and down like she is on sale at Walmart. There's a sale on beautiful women. And you know what happens when you go out to dinner with your husband and you're out there on a nice date night with your husband and how dare, could you want to come up here and finish preaching this message? <laughs> you're out for a nice dinner with your husband and you're all dressed up as best as you can. You're all done up the way you need to be, the way you want to be. Your husband's saying, boy, this is going to be good after dinner. There's going to be some dessert. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. And you sit down at your table and wouldn't you know it? How dare she one-up me? She looks better than me. We're all competing against each other in ways that we shouldn't be competing with each other, judging each other, looking down our noses at each other. And yet in humility, this thing called the cross reminds us that we're all equal. Red, yellow, black, and white. All lives matter in God's sight. And by saying all lives matter, I'm not belittling in any way, shape, or form. See how conditioned we are? I'm not in any way, shape, or form belittling the Black Lives Matters movement, which I think has largely been hijacked by people with political motives to cause further racial divide. Listen, if you're a white person, you don't understand the racism that an African-American person has to deal with every day in this nation. And I don't mind saying it because it's the truth. If you're a black person, you don't understand the difficulties that white people go through and that oftentimes we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. If we say something, it doesn't seem genuine. If we don't say anything, our silence speaks louder than words. But you know, at the foot of the cross, when we rediscover in humility that Jesus died for every single one of us, we can accept each other. We can embrace each other. We can move beyond. You know, it's over 50 years since Martin Luther King Jr. gave God's message. It was God's dream, not just Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. I have a dream that we will one day judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That's God's vision. And he graciously gave it to Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm so glad he did. And the master communicator, God himself, communicated masterfully through his servant, Martin Luther King Jr. But here we are 50 years plus after that dream was so eloquently, unmistakably given on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. Folks, we have a long way to go in the United States of America, and God is looking at you and he's looking at me to be part of the solution for racial reconciliation. It belongs to us, the church. We're the ones who have been given the message of hope and racial reconciliation, courtesy of this thing called the cross, courtesy of our great God and Savior, Jesus, who hung on the cross. And we need to stand up and speak out any and every time we see racism, any and every time 
We are guilty of racism. Take captive every thought and say it's wrong because at the cross, my black brother is just like me. At the cross, my white brother is just like me. And everybody in between, we were all in need of a savior and thank God almighty, we are free at last, free from our sin. Black people, white people, and everybody in between. Not because of something you did, not because of something I did, but because of something God the Father did through his son Jesus. It's called undeserved favor, the grace of almighty God. And Peter was having his circuits blown that day. I realize now that whether it's Jew or Gentile, it's God's work. And while Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on them. You've got to love this because God waiting. You love the restraint of God. That's humility. The restraint of God, if God, if it was possible, and I've been misunderstood lately, if it were possible, for God to chomp at the bit and be antsy, I wonder what it must have been like for him. I can't wait to make a statement with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on non-Jews, Italians even. Because then the non-Jews and the Jews will know that I'm Lord. And when we get to the book of Revelation and we see people from every tongue and every tribe and every skin color gathered around the throne of that same Jesus, we see a consistency in the message of Almighty God that he's entrusted to you and that he's entrusted to me. Racism is wrong. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and be a racist. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ and remain silent in the face of racism. You can't. Now, I want you to understand, you think you understand the significance of what's happening here, but let's back it up just for a moment to the beginning of chapter 10. I want us to really understand the significance of Cornelius. Really understand what's taking place here. Verse one at Caesarea, this is where the chief Roman officer was stationed. This is the epicenter of Roman rule in that whole area. This is the Roman provincial capital of that area. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So a centurion led 100 men. A cohort would be six centurions, 600 men, and there would be a legion. All of these um, cohorts would add up. There would be six thousand of them. So Cornelius is one of these particular individuals who is a leader with other leaders. Romans, do you understand your Bible, what the Romans were guilty of in the eyes of the Jewish believers? What did the Roman soldiers do with the Messiah? What did they do with him? They were the ones who were guilty, humanly speaking, of crucifying Jesus. It's significant if you're reading this in the first century, if you're being told this story in the first century or the second century, you would remember the Romans, they're the ones who were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. The epicenter of Roman rule where these soldiers were, you mean the gospel's going to those guys? Come on now. 
They don't deserve it. See, Jewish teaching, one of the teachings in the Old Testament is that someday, one day, when Jesus returns, he's going to defeat all of his enemies. From the Jewish mindset, that means that God's going to deal with all the non-Jewish people. The Gentiles are going to get their just desserts. He who laughs last, laughs best. And from the Jewish perspective, when the Messiah comes, they think it's the first time, it's the second time, when Jesus returns and he deals with all of his enemies, think about the battle of Megiddo, Armageddon, when they're all surrounding Jerusalem and God overthrows all of his enemies. It was a Jewish understanding that God was going to deal with all of the Gentiles. So the fact that the Holy Spirit now falls on the Gentiles in this Roman epicenter of these who are responsible, humanly speaking, for the crucifixion of Jesus, this is huge. This is massive. This is eye-opening. This is transformational. That Jesus and the gospel are for all people everywhere. The Romans needed a savior. The Jews needed a savior. Blacks need a savior. Whites need a savior. Red people need a savior. Yellow people need a savior. Every human being needs a savior. And you can have him, and you do have him, courtesy of Jesus, the savior sent from almighty God. Now, if you blink, you miss this. Notice what it says about Cornelius, a devout man in verse two who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to people and prayed continually to God. And yet he was as dead as a doorknob, spiritually speaking. What do you mean? His prayers were heard by almighty God. Yes, but he still needed to hear the truth about Jesus. He still needed to hear the truth about Jesus. You can be a religious person. You know, it says here actually that he was a prayer warrior. Cornelius was a prayer warrior. He's giving alms. He's giving money or material things to people who needed them. He was a generous man, praying continually, reverencing God, and yet he still needed Jesus. You know, you can be a person who respects God, who acknowledges God, who even prays a lot. The question is, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Jesus as your savior? Because until you do that, and unless you do that, you are not yet born again. If it was true for Cornelius, it's true for you, and it's true for me. If a devout man who gave alms and prayed regularly still needed to hear about Jesus and needed to personally make a decision for Jesus, then you do too. I do too. You cannot be a good enough person morally. You cannot be a good enough person religiously on your own. The whole point is that Jesus was and is for you. And without Jesus, you cannot be in right standing with Almighty God. Jesus is the one that everyone needs to hear about. Jesus is the one When people hear about Jesus and when they give their life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes everything about them. You needed the Holy Spirit. I needed the Holy Spirit. You still need the Holy Spirit. I still need the Holy Spirit. The United States of America needs the Holy Spirit in the church, in the lives of Christians to get out there and show the world that Jesus is for all people. Racism is wrong. Red, yellow, black, and white. 
All lives matter in God's sight. And the message has been given to Peter. The message has been given to Cornelius. And here we are in the 21st century. The message still applies today. Racism is wrong. And it's up to you and me, God's people, to set the record straight, to be the solution that this nation and this world needs at this particular time in history, courtesy of Jesus and courtesy of the Holy Spirit. Let's go, church. Let's get out there. Let's follow Jesus. Let's let the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God that he began in each and every one of us be brought to further completion so that the world will know that Jesus is still the truth. See, I said it before, by rejecting racism, I'll say it again, by rejecting racism, agnostics and atheists alike are simply affirming the truth of the Bible and the relevance, timeless relevance of the Bible and Jesus and the message of the gospel. This current outcry against racism is really a cry for the truth of God. And you've got the truth, and I do too. Let's live it, and let's tell other people all along the way. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.